0: What's going on, guys? Ted Fayton, the host of the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast here. Just wanted to give you a heads up that this episode includes some explicit words in the delivery of the message. With that being said, I still think it's a message worth sharing. I hope you enjoy the episode. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast. As always, we appreciate you taking the time to join us today for yet another great episode, which I have no doubt it will be. I'm here with holistic physician, restorative coach, podcaster, and psychiatrist, Dr. Fred Moss, uh, joining us on the call. Doctor, thank you for taking the time.
1: It's really great to be here. Far from a problem. I'm really, really glad and looking
0: forward to our conversation. Absolutely. Likewise. Me too. And and I always love giving an opportunity for the audience and the guests to get acquainted in in the guest's words. I think I can give a great introduction, but nothing is better than than the guests saying it themselves. So I just want to give you the floor really quick so you can kind of uh, really kind of give the elevator pitch on who you are, what you do, and then we can kind of hop into some questions.
1: Well, you know, who I am these days is just a healer. I'm just finding myself uh, every single day. I've, I've been really getting more and more in tune and aligned with who I am and what I came to this planet to perform or contribute. And uh, it is at the time where it's contribution. I've taken from from my life a whole lot. I've been all around the world. I've met tons of people. I've had over 40,000 patients as a doctor that I've entered a note in a chart. So that's called a patient when you do that. Mm -hmm. Some of them were only for a few seconds at a time when I worked in nursing homes and stuff like that. But you know, 40,000 conversations with people who have come to me asking for my assistance. And, you know, I've had, I lived in multiple different cities and been in multiple different circumstances and had different partners and different business partners. And uh, I really had a full life. I've ha- I, I have nothing to complain about for the 64 years that I've been here. But what I now am is just fully committed to pouring it back and being a contribution, taking my experience as a physician or as a citizen, as a world citizen, and bringing it forth to do some healing work. If you haven't noticed, the world's in kind of a great deal of pain, and there's a lot of trauma and a lot of, you know, there's a lot of terror, a lot of fear, a lot of discomfort, a lot of disappointment, a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, a lot of confusion or aimlessness or helplessness or hopelessness. And- maybe the field I've been in most of my life is psychiatry it only covers a small portion of that. So I'm now like a connector and I'm really like the thing I'm most interested in is helping people find their true voice and bring that forward effectively into the world that's eagerly awaiting it. So True Voice is the company that I've built. If you say the True Voice is my brand, my most recent book is called Finder True Voice. The two courses I recently taught are called True Voice Podcasting and True Voice broadcasting. Mm -hmm. My newest podcast itself is called True Voice with Dr. Fred. So we're finding true voice that that's who I'm becoming more synonymous with because Ted, you know, now is the time to bring our true voice. I mean, these are urgent times. These are challenging and disturbing times, and we're not going to get past any of the problems that are here for us if we don't speak our truth. And so I think I have become... Authentic, you know, more authentic and aligned with myself. And as a result, create that possibility for anyone that comes in encounter with me.
0: Yeah. And uh, so uh, I'll jump right in that to put to in terms of the finding the true voice. What does that process look like? How do we know if we're speaking in our true voice or if we're just making noise? Because mm-hmm. we, we do live in a time where there's a lot of contention, there's a lot of uh, uncertainty, anxiety, fear. And quite frankly, there's also a lot of noise because yeah. a lot of people are talking but it's almost, you could hear something from one person that you heard from another and it's almost regurgitated. It, it's hard to decipher between the noise and the actual voices sometimes, but as someone who has a social media platform, who has a following, who's here on the show, if I'm wanting to make sure that I'm not just adding to the noise, that I'm actually giving value, what does that process look like in terms of, I guess, vetting our own
1: yeah. It's a great question. You know, I think as I was considering an answer to this question, I, there's like you know your truth. I'm not going to, you know, you know when you're telling your truth. Mm-hmm. When you when you hit down and and you get down to business and you actually say something that is actually consistent with your truth, you know when you're saying something aligned. And you actually do know when you're saying something misaligned as well. You know when you're bending the truth, you know when you're lying, you know when you're trying to be someone that you're not in order to get some sort of dividend or some sort of payoff or prevent some sort of pain. We all know that. We know what the truth is. So much so that, you know, if we were to learn today that today was the last day of our life, that, you know, it just got confirmed and news just came out to this is it. Today's your last day. What are you going to do for the rest of the day between now and midnight? If you're like any of us, you know, and, and it seems like, you know, It's just a natural occurrence. What you'll do is you'll go find somebody and tell them the truth, because you know which truth you're sitting on. You might tell them you love them again, or you might tell them you love them for the first time, or you might tell them you stole five dollars from them twenty-five years ago, or you might tell them something. But you're gonna, you know where the truth is. You resonate with your own truth. There's only two choices. You know, there's the truth and all other stories. Yeah. And you you know, which one is the truth. Now you don't know which one of mine is the truth. And that's a different question. You know, when you're listening out there, it's true. There's a lots of noise. You got the person A saying something, person B saying something. You're not sure that you can capture which of them is actually saying anything that's worth listening to as close to the truth. But even in that setting, Ted, I think that there's something that happens where people present themselves authentically and you're down with it. Like you get it. Like you get, oh Yeah. That guy's speaking from his heart, like oh yeah, oh yeah. I can count on that guy. I can rely on that guy. You know, woman and guy. There's a feeling. There's a resonance. There's a trueness to the tone of the truth that is more than in the sounds. It's in the whole presentation. How you know the the times when you know when the nonverbal communications or how someone holds himself or how someone uses their eyes or their hands or you know the level of bravado or the level of brag, you know, of hiding. Mm -hmm. You can see that, you know, when someone's being authentic and when they're not and authentic people are very, very attractive, very attractive to all of humanity. They even, even if they're saying something that's diametrically opposed to what you think is. So as long as they're speaking from the heart, there's something that is extremely engaging about someone bringing their authentic message. And you actually know that, too, because we as humans are able to discern the truth from a lie. In fact, all a lie is is an effort to be the you know, an effort to pretend to be a truth. What, a good liar actually has an excellent access to the truth hmm. because they're designing a story that looks like what truth could be. I mean, cause we know that that's what truth is and you know, a good liar, all they, they have terrific access to the details involved of truth because you have to design a story that sort of matches the possibility of being true in order to be a good liar.
0: Mm. What makes it so hard for us to either share our truth or embrace the truth? Because I know there's been, you know. The social media posts and things is you know hard pill to swallow one hard pill to swallow two where you know being fully honest sometimes the truth can hurt. I've had the yeah. conversation with my wife. She's like, "Hey, that you stepped on the scale, babe. You should have said something." <laughs> it's like, well, that might be a truth that gets you in trouble, right? <laughs> but that is a situation where it begs the question: Why is the truth so hard to embrace? Sometimes that's really great. So, most people will say
1: to the answer to that question is something about fear, you know, something about fear of being hated or the truth hurts or, you know, being canceled or being censored or being trolled or being thrown off the island or being opposed or, you know, all those things that uh, social media has brought forth uh, right to the front of the page. And so there's this notion of fear that if I speak my truth, people won't listen. If I speak my truth, I'm going to cause more trouble than is already here. But what we do with that, you know, we're not looking at the cost of the alternative. So when you're pretending to be someone that you're not in order to protect the person that you are, Mm. let's really look at how ridiculous that is. (laughs) Really? Let's take it just a second. I shouldn't even have to say anymore. If you're pretending to be someone you're not in order to protect the person that you are, then no one will ever know who you are and you will never be heard ever for who you be. Mm All right. That, that's a pretty big cost. I mean, yes, you're afraid of getting hurt or getting hated or being opposed or maybe getting ostracized or thrown off the platform of some way. But here's another truth. Even that person you're pretending to be is likely to have that happen to them, too. So it doesn't even protect you in any way to pretend to be somebody in order to protect the person you are. It doesn't really protect you from that. Now, what it does do, and this is where the hurtful part is, is if you hurt the person I'm pretending to be, then you're not really hitting me in the heart because you're hitting my imposter in the heart. So yeah, you don't like the guy I was pretending to be? Good for you. I don't like him either. You know, it's like, you can actually almost agree with someone who disagrees with the person you're pretending to be. Yeah. Because you disagree with that person too. (laughs) So, you know, the, the possibility here is that When you choose to come clean with your truth, it doesn't mean just blurting your truth in all situations and just hurting people and, you know, offending people and saying inappropriate things in a wrong setting. No, saying the truth takes into consideration your entire creativity as an adult or even as a child human being where you know what the truth is and, you know, you can walk that fine line with finesse taking into consideration the people that are in the room with you taking into consideration the context of what's being discussed with the whole effort being to somehow move that needle forward. If I'm just going to yell out in a room that I hate you or them or this policy or you know that way of thinking, and, and then I just get crushed by the room who everyone disagrees with me or you know doesn't care or didn't really land, that's not the same as speaking truth. Speaking truth takes into consideration the context and the people that you're with and takes care of all of that, Like, actually calls forth, is what I'm about to say going to move the needle forward on the conversation that we're having? Is it going to do anything to help solve whatever it is is the problem? Is it going to contribute in any way to expand the knowledge base so that people who are here can grow as a result of my truth? If so, then I need to say that I need to say it from my heart, even if it put myself out there in a vulnerable way. That's what's being called for. Most of us, when we get hurt, you know, I've been hurt on social media too. I mean, we all, by this point, only most of us have, <laughs> it, we pull back and say, you know what? Screw the truth. I'm not giving the truth. any. I'm not even going to post anymore. Even my truth, let alone the stuff that hurt me. Like I get hurt once and now I'm not going to talk anything about anything anymore. But mm. so, uh, That's kind of overkill. It's not really what's here. The and and these days you can get used to just being hurt. You can expect there's going to be trolls and cancelers and uh, censorers out there when you say whatever you say, and you could prepare for it and maybe put on a little bit of thick skin. Anyways, that and you know double check that what you said wasn't in order to offend. It was more in order to move a needle forward. That's what I'm calling on people to do. You know our backs are against the wall. We have monumental problems in this world. You know like threatening all of humanity. Uh, There's more than a few of those that we could list easily. And that none of them are really the biggest problem in the world, because the biggest problem in the world is if we don't talk, none of those are going to get affected in any real way. We need to talk anyways, Mm. or it's all over anyhow. So the wars and racism or the, you know, the medical issues or the climate issues or sex trafficking, or these things, which are just massive threats to humanity yeah. none of them are going to get solved unless we bring forth our authentic message. And, and now's the time to. Yeah. And,
0: and speaking about that authentic message and talking, it, it you mentioned connection and 40,000 plus patients that you've had these conversations with through healing. And I think it's important because I'd say over the past couple of years for a lot of folks, we've had this tum- these tumultuous times and the healing is probably more important now than ever. And with those 40,000 plus conversations that you've had, what have you noticed as maybe the common denominator that they're all seeking or, and I know, I know different strokes for different folks. There's no one cheat code for everybody, but if you had to find maybe a common denominator that would give maybe a little inch towards that needle towards healing, what would that be?
1: You know, I'm going to stand on this one. I I think that the common denominator of all 7.8 billion of us, and let's face it, 40,000 is just scratching, barely scratching the surface of 7.8 billion. So I could be, I I might be off here, but 7.8 billion people want to be heard for who they are. 7.8 people want to be loved for who they are. They want to be accepted for who they are and who they're not. And we all just want to be heard. And that includes everyone, by the way, including that guy over there and that woman over there and those people over there, Mm -hmm. all these people they really want is to be heard for their authentic self. So since that is what everybody wants, it does create quite a conundrum. If that's all so, and if that's all true, then why is it still so hard to deliver our honest, authentic message to the world?
0: Mm -hmm. Is that a question for me? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, you know, I think we're took, we're looking at that fear thing again. You know, looking at fear just you know smothering us. Uh, the idea of you know once hurt, twice shy. You know, you just get really, really attuned. You know, being hurt, having your heart broken, or, or or being misunderstood and and being rejected. None of us really seek that out, and when that happens, sometimes we contract to the point to a fault, and we stop talking any of our truth, it, let alone the truth that hurt us.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting the way and I had to write that down when you mentioned, you know, what does that cost? Because we've spoken about it on the podcast before in terms of our fear of not being accepted, our fear of being separated from the group. It it comes from our reptilian brain. It comes from history where you were excommunicated from the church. That was a death sentence. Yeah. You know, if you were separated from the tribe and you were on your own, that meant death. But here we are. Because we, I would say, live such public lives, not that we're all public figures, but because of social media, we all have lives that are seen in public now for a majority of us. And even still, whether it be in our schools or amongst our family, we are surrounded by these people that we now, to your point, would put up a facade in hopes of this person getting accepted. The irony is even if that person gets accepted, our true selves are not accepted and we still have that void that's left behind. Exactly. (laughs) So it's almost realizing the reality of our reptilian brain kind of giving us a fear, which it's not as true as it used to be Mm -hmm. because seven plus billion people in this world, I'm never going to forget. I saw the statistic. It says, listen, if 99 Point nine percent of the world's population doesn't like you. You still have over a million people that like you. <laughs> like you're still doing pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty fun. I, I hadn't seen that. That's really great. That is so, really great. I, I love that. So that that human connection is something that that we all strive for. Doctor Moss, what is it about human connection that that we yeah. strive for? Why why is it so important for us?
1: Well, you know, in everything, everything from, you know, the base, uh, if you go right down to the bottom from lovemaking all the way up, and and the idea is we're looking for unification, we're looking for our brotherhood, we're looking to be understood and resonated with, we're looking to be accepted, we're looking, you know, for our own levels of compassion or forgiveness and, you know, the we're social beings. We are not separate. We are all humans. You know, you and me are are really just one. And, I, you know, it's easy to say that rhetorically, like, oh, he's one of those woo-woo guys. We're all one. But the truth is, is we are all one. And, you know, I feel your pain or their pain and I feel their magic and your magic. And there's just nothing in the world greater than unification of one of one human with another, let alone a group. Wouldn't it be? Let me ask you something. I mean, I think your listeners would. Now that it's become an even greater unlikelihood, it sure would be desirable if all of a sudden 7.8 billion of us began to walk in lockstep with each other for a, for a unified purpose. Yeah. I mean, I mean that would be called heaven, right? I mean, that's that We're done now. Yeah. Like that's it. That's that We don't got anything left. We don't have anything else to do anymore.
0: Yeah, we're good. Saul, John Lennon, imagine all the people. (laughs) It's it. So we're
1: built for that desire. You know, on this short ride on this planet, we're built for the desire to have something like that occur. I once wrote an article called Global Madness, What the World Must Do to Unite. And it really talks about all the, you know, all the things that could maybe happen. It even predicts the pandemic, unfortunately, all the things that could happen that, would at least charge, at least create the greatest challenge for that to exactly occur. 7.8 billion to walk alike. For instance, and you know, I think it was actually Ronald Reagan who said it a lot. To, people told me that after I wrote my article, I did I didn't steal it from him. I heard it after, which was that an interplanetary, an interplanetary threat, like if we knew that today, you know, that we had six months, the Martians were on the way here. And they were going to just annihilate the planet. And the only way we're going to do this, the only way we're going to save the planet is we're going to have to work together. All that, all put all our hate aside, put our separateness aside. The only way we're going to do this is the Russians are going to have to work with Ukrainians. We're going to have to work with the Chinese. That, you know, the black people are going to have to work with the white. Yeah, everyone's going to have to work with everyone or this. It's all over, anyways. Yeah. My question in that article was would that be enough <laughs> to make us do it? You know, and then I was able to dream a little bit that, you know, The Martians wouldn't know what had what they had coming to them if we could do that, you know, because we we would take them out. We'd take them out for sure. We have (laughs) so much ingenuity here. We would. There's no way that any group of Martians would do anything to this Earth if we were unified as a people. We just we would just handle
0: it. Absolutely. There was a book I read. The author escapes me, but the name of the book is *Sapiens*, Hmm. and it looks at the history of humankind and Homo sapiens specifically. And it talked about our one ability that kind of led us to the top of the food chain and mm-hmm. really kind of beating out the Homo erectus and, yeah. and Neanderthals was our ability to amass in large numbers. Right. And the author- Harari. Harari is the author. Okay. Pr- pr- yeah. Thank you. Harari mentions that if we, let's say I'm from Seattle, I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan. I'm in a dark bar in London and there's a guy on the other side of the bar that's wearing a Seattle Seahawks hat. Right. I'm going to talk to him. Absolutely. I'm going to talk. Yeah. To and yeah. he says it's, it's our ability to unite under these, what he would say, fabricated realities. The state borders mean nothing to the animals. The United okay. States is a flag. It's a symbol that we can all stand under, right? The Seattle Seahawks is a football team with a mascot. Yeah. But because I resonate with this, we automatically have something in common that that unites us. That right. one thing unites us. Being in a dark bar in a different country, <laughs> far from home, you find something that you're connected to, mainly because you resonate under the same thing. So, to your point, that's so true. Having that one cause that we all circle behind and and want to go after is really the true uniter, and really why, as a species, we've been able to make it this far. Exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. The word we, you know, the word we or the word us it implies some sort of unity but in reality what it creates is a them we're already a we but when we say we we are really defining the borders of we where we end and they begin otherwise the we would be like expansive and infinite so what we don't realize when we say the word we is that we're actually creating the group that is disenfranchised that is outside of that we now, if we could find a way to really get that we equal seven point eight billion humans, like we fans, you know, we seahawk, we seahawk fans are actually we're just now we've expanded. we're all fans of humanity, you know, and don't don't you know, tumble their way out of here, like not in my house kind of thing, you know yeah. if we were able to do that, you know, that's what the whole point of the of the global madness article is is, Could we create a team called We that would actually take all of our strengths, all of our weaknesses, all of our delegation? You know, we can delegate certain jobs to people who are way better at it than us Mm -hmm. and uh, manage ourselves, you know, manage ourselves with a level of ingenuity that is literally unimaginable. I mean, if you look at what's really here from all 7.8 billion of us to manage this planet, there's Massive abundant capacity to manage the planet. Should we somehow find a way to be a we? Yeah. Instead, we create these micro wees, like us and you, you know, us and them, us and, and those things are so divisive, create so much problem right within our own species. I mean, all you can sort of look back at, you know, while it's happening, you have, It's so tragic that there's something like you have to you have to like laugh, you know? It's like mm. such tragic comedy that we have created these splinters between there's so many groups now, right? I mean, you can't even know what to say in front of anyone anymore. You have no idea what to call yourself. You know, if I call myself a, you know, a tall white Jewish guy, I probably offended someone there. Maybe I offended a lot of people there. You know, I'm I'm tall, I'm white, I'm Jewish, and I'm a man. Okay. there's At least one of those things <laughs> doesn't work for a lot of people. Yeah. So I got to pretend that I'm not tall. I'm not white. I'm, if I want to work for them or work with them, maybe I'll just give up on one of them. Maybe I'm short, white <laughs> Jewish man, uh, or maybe I'm a tall, white Jewish woman. Or it may, you know, again, it goes on and on again. Which then compromises
0: the identity of who you are in the first place, which we're, we're back to that.
1: We're, <laughs> we're back to that. Exactly. Because now I'm not being heard for who I am. And therefore, I'll never get the feedback that what I said and who I was was actually what people are responding to. So I'm not heard. And in fact, you know, I'm herded is one that's kind of a, a yeah. you know, you can be herded when you're not speaking your true voice.
0: So when we talk about, because a lot of what you do with the healing process and through that unity, how does that unity encourage the healing? Because I I know in your medical practice, you've even found through uh, prescription medicine can even lead to causing some of the symptoms that they're there to solve. Mm -hmm. but having that, the natural acceptance being heard, having that unity in our lives, how does that lead and enhance healing for anyone who might be having their own issues right now? Well, that's
1: interesting that you bring up the, this idea about the medication. So the medications are not the evil, the evil things that some people hold it to. And they're certainly not panaceas. I think we're all, we're all familiar with that. What this is, is, more than anything people like to give themselves diagnosis and call themselves afflicted or call themselves affected or call themselves you know ill or diseased or men, you know mentally ill or anything like that because when when we do that when we when we call ourselves defective we can relinquish some of the responsibility that would be on us for the mistakes that we make in the world or for the pain that we cause in the world we can say you know what honey, I am so sorry. I yelled at you. That must've been my bipolar acting out. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, like, pardon me. I got bipolar, you know, pardon me. I've got ADHD. Pardon me. I've got social phobia. I've got schizophrenia. I've got schizoaffective disorder. I got narcissistic personality. I got borderline. I got, so, you know, I got post-traumatic stress disorder. I got, oh, I'm on the autistic spectrum disorder. You know, it's like, we have so many diseases that are labeled. And, there's a lot of things that happen. Those create a we and an us and them, right? Immediately. We have those people with those conditions and us who apparently don't have, or unless we think we do have, and then we're in that us with the other folks who do have the same condition as us.
0: Yeah,
1: There's a lot of we and them that goes in that. So in the healing process in the true voice what we get is that each of us that mental illness is a made up construct not to diminish the experiences of what people are having you know the the extremely miserable painful nearly intolerable unspeakable experiences that people have including you know looking at the entire purpose of whether it's worth going on living all everything this is not to diminish those experiences. In fact, I would say it's to emphasize those experiences. Some people have misheard me to think that when I say mental illness is just a conversation, that I'm saying something like, you know, get over it, get, you know, pick yourself off the bootstraps. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we can all relate to that. And if we all finally get that, none of us are very much more ill than another at baseline. At baseline, and we somehow become more ill when we accept our diagnosis as being something that says that we are deficient or defective, and then take treatment or sometimes medications, which if the medications actually do cause the symptoms that they're marketed to treat, if they did, if they do, now you're sick. It's true. Now you are sick. It's right because you have taken something that now, in fact, makes you not only physiologically sick, but why did you take it? Because you thought you were sick. So now you think you're sick and you're taking something that makes you sick. There's no argument anymore. Now you're sick. And then people who know you go, See him? He's sick. It's like, Yeah, he's sick. But there's a lot of reasons that went into being sick. So in the healing process, when people are ready, and this is not for everyone, by the way. So for your listeners, you know, if what you're doing with your with your mom or your sister or yourself or your friend or your patient, you know, if what you're doing is working, if it's working to get you the results that you want, then please don't change. Mm. Okay. I'm not telling people to change. I'm not, I'm only talking to the people where it's not working. Okay. They, do you have found some sort of freedom, some sort of power in what you're doing right now with how you're treating, whatever you're treating, then please stay the course. Absolutely. Good for you. Congratulations. More power to you. I really mean it. Don't change. This is for the great majority of people who get that life is not working as well as they hope. And once we do that and we reduce the diagnosis or eliminate it, reduce this, the therapies or eliminate it, reduce the medications or eliminate it, then we're looking eye to eye at another human being who doesn't know what the hell's going on either. Yeah, And we'll just be honest that neither of us, neither me or you knows what the hell is going on. I'm trying on, to right? figure this out. You don't, <laughs> you don't have any clue, bro. You don't have any clue and neither do I. But when we get that, you don't know, and we just get down to business that we don't know, mm-hmm. then you're looking across the table at somebody who doesn't know either. And you could start from there. Now you've unified and now you could start from there and a whole new level of resonance, a whole new level of belonging, a whole new level of you know, connection gets occurred you know, occurs right there. Now now let's get the business. Now, now it's game on, you know, now we're at a level playing
0: field. Yeah. Instead of kind of feeling like you're isolated and lost in the woods, all of a sudden you're like, oh, you're lost too. You're lost too. You know, everybody kicked the flashlights on. We got ourselves a search party.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Well well said. Perfect. Beautiful. Exactly. Exactly. Even one person, even one person who gets another person, that search party starts like, oh, I got a friend, I got a brother, I got a family member, whatever. Yeah. And suddenly being lost isn't that bad. You have a companion, you know? It's true. <laughs> in fact, being lost is the state of affairs. If
0: you're not lost, you're lying. Ooh, I'm going to write that down. If you're not lost, you're lying. One question before we come to the end of the podcast cuz I thought I saw this in your bio and I love pulling these these topics out and this question out. Just because a lot of times we see the titles, right? People see what I do for a living. They see what you do for a living. And it's like, oh, it must be nice to get there. But I've addressed you, respectively, Dr. Fred Moss. How does a two-time college dropout become a doctor? Yeah. I'd love to know that journey really quick. Sure. So
1: I am a two-time college dropout. It's true. And, and you know, I was born, as I said, I was born to heal my family. I was very precocious. I, you know, they taught me how to read and how to do math before I went to kindergarten. So the kids in kindergarten, you know, picking their nose and throwing blocks and I'm actually doing math problems. And, uh, you know, I probably was picking my nose and throwing blocks and doing math problems, just to be honest. And, you know, I, I talked a lot and I wanted to communicate. I loved communication. I really wanted to learn how to be a master communicator. So Wasn't going to happen at elementary school. I just figured, you know, I was just a little bit too advanced. And, you know, maybe when I caught up with junior high, I would learn how to communicate. So I I hung in there, went into junior high. I was like, okay. And when I got there, it was actually worse than elementary school, right? So I was like, oh, boy, disappointment. You know, these kids are actually worse than the sixth grade friends I had. I know what I'll do. I'll just wait till I get to high school. That's why they call it high school, because they'll teach me there how to communicate. So I went into high school, fully expect, yay, I've arrived with the big kids. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And it wasn't any better in high school either. It actually got a little <laughs> bit worse in high school. So, wow. Wow. So because I love their helmets and because I knew it was quite a sports fan at the time as well, and because it was only 40 miles away, I just thought, okay, it's time to go to university. So I'll find a way to get into the University of Michigan. And I did. I got in the University of Michigan and really, you know, I was there for, I love Ann Arbor. I still love Ann Arbor. And but uh, school became even worse, you know, it's like, oh, there's no communication in school. You just sit down on your butt and you watch that professor do whatever they're doing. And if you can repeat everything they said and do a really good job at it, they tell you are a good student and you get to move on. Yeah. That's not communication either. Mm-mm. No, man, that's terrible is what that is. And I hung in there for about a year and a half and finally said, shit, I'm done. So I walked out of school, you know, and got in a bus and took a Greyhound out to California so I could find myself and all that just like people did back then. And I did find a little bit of myself, but I also found that I was jobless. So I decided, you know, someone said, you should go back to college and get yourself a real job. And then you can spend your whole life finding yourself. All right. So I, you know, got back into college, went to Michigan. And uh, one more time, it's like, you know, I do like the helmets. And, I, you know, a lot of good reasons to go to Michigan. So they be close to home, get some home-cooked meals every so often. And uh, I only lasted, I didn't last a whole year then. It was worse. You know, I I took computers and I was like, man, this just just totally sucks. I'm out of here again. In January of 1980, I came home and told my mom that I'm never going back to college again, ever, never, no way, not even thinking about it. So I need to find something else to do. And she said that was fine and got me an application at a state mental health facility working with adolescent boys. And so these kids were six or seven years younger than me. I thought I'd stay just long enough to go through orientation, but I stayed longer than that. And finally, you know, my friend Paul, who was orienting with me, got me up to go to the floors. And now I was doing exactly what you and I are talking about. I was talking to these 14, 15 and 16 year old kids like they were humans. Like I was with them. Like I'm they're my homies, like they're my people, like they're teaching me at the same time I'm teaching them. What do you see? What do you see? You know, I had a driver's license so I could take them on all these field trips. We went to the Silver Dome, We went to, you know, Greenfield Village. We went to hockey games. You know, I really enjoyed communicating as a way of being. But the thing I hated about that job more than anything was the way that psychiatry was dealing with those kids. I couldn't believe it. You know, we would just call a psychiatrist and say, Timmy's up too late or that Johnny got in a fight with Jimmy and they'd come down with their weapon, this thing here called a weapon. Uh, some people call it a pen. Yeah. And uh, they'd come down with their weapon. They'd talk to the kid for like two seconds. They talked to us for like five seconds. And then he talk to the nurse for like seven seconds. And then they'd write something in the chart and we would then have to hold the kid down, like, you know, really seriously hold them down and inject them full of some shit medicine. Right. And if he was, you know, 12 or 24 hours later, if that kid hadn't said a word, we call that a success. I was like, how how is this okay? There's nothing close to okay about this. Yeah, I love these kids and I have to do this. There's something so wrong about this. So that gave me the impetus to go back to school. You know, I was like, I, my brother, 14 years older than me, was already a psychiatrist. And it was like, psychiatry was a field of communication at the time. And I decided to go back to be a psychiatrist. So I could bring communication and connection back into that field. So I wouldn't, I could like combat these jerks who were writing, taking <laughs> their weapon out and putting kids out of their misery.
0: Yeah.
1: 13 years later finishing off at Wayne State and then going to you know going to Northwestern in Chicago downtown Chicago Northwestern Medical School you know where I really learned how to be a human not in medical school by the way I really learned how to be a human in the streets of Chicago between 1984 and 1988 when you know and Jordan arrived in 84 so we had a good time to be there that time as well I had season tickets for the Bulls for the first 5 years of Jordan's career and so there was a lot of fun being there and I learned how to communicate effectively in Chicago, you know, while I was in medical school. But in the meantime, Prozac was introduced to the world and Prozac really changed the world. You're too young to know this, but it really did. It's what gave the term biological psychiatry or chemical imbalance. And that's where we get, you know, going back to where this conversation has been, that's where it became completely understood that if you were uncomfortable, that's because there was something wrong with you. Mm. Now, that's not really true at all. There's nothing true about that. But if you were depressed or you were anxious or you were fearful or if you were confused or if you were empty or you weren't finishing tasks on time or you had funny thoughts in your head or you were spending too much money or you were sleeping too much or not sleeping enough, if you were having too much sex or not having enough sex, if you were too religious or not religious at all, if whatever those things were, there's something wrong with you. And now we have, you know, change, we have an app for that. Now it's like we had a medicine for you. And a psychiatrist, all of a sudden, dude, do you get, I now is walking into the belly of the beast and became a psychopharmacological expert, even though the reason I went into the damn field was so that I would never, ever, ever have to write a medicine again. Uh, So of those 40,000 patients, I wrote over probably over a hundred thousand prescriptions in my career, because that's what the should was. That's what I was hired for that. You know, I went 13 years or 26 years or whatever you want to say to get this. Oh, so high powered job. And I would try to inject communication, even though at the same time I was medicating people who couldn't handle my communication because I was medicating them. uh, This level of duplicity. That then like ruled my life, also ruled many of my relationships, causing a lot of damage. I think in uh, how my world went, and that's how I've become so dedicated over time. You know, to in two thousand six, I began to do a real big shift and started taking people off medicine and off their diagnosis. And you know, I've later learned the name earned the name of the undoctor, where I undiagnose, unmedicate, and then undoctrinate people, giving them their lives back. Right, like. If you can know there's nothing wrong with you and there never was, then you won't need to take medicine because why would you take it if there's nothing wrong with you? And then we can start right there together again. Like, guess what? Neither of us know what the hell's going on. Let's start from there. Yeah. We got we got a search party. Let's yeah. get going.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I like yeah. that search party line. And, and I appreciate you sharing that. I asked that because a lot of us, and I just wanted to kind of bridge that gap for a lot of people who wherever they are in their life might feel as if they might've missed the boat or they're they're not in their purpose, or maybe what they went in for isn't shaping out the way they, that they thought it would look. So just that testimony right there of your experience through it all, hopefully gives somebody a little bit of encouragement in whatever step they are in their process and in their story, myself included, knowing yeah. that, hey, there's still a shift that could be made for sure, and steps towards that destination that we all look for so desperately. And I love the ter- search party. Hey, feel it's free good. to use it; it's yours to take. It's good. And really quick, as we wrap up, I want to make sure that our audience has an, an ability to get in contact with you, follow you, and sure. use utilize your services if if they so need. So, Doctor Doctor Moss, how can folks connect with you?
1: Well, it's really as of today. There's a circle community that got created this morning, and I honestly don't have that link uh, memorized. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's too bad. I feel bad about that, but we'll have it in the show notes. The circle community is the best way to get a hold of me, and we'll, you know, that's that's where our community rises from. The True Voice community. Okay. We also have access to the True Voice podcasting and True Voice broadcasting. Another way to get a hold of me or to learn more about me, if it's if what I said resonates in any way with you, is to you know get my new book. And I'll offer to your listeners that you can get my new book at Find Your True Voice. Isn't that shocking that that's the name of my book? FindYourTrueVoiceBook.com is a way to get my book. I would uh, gladly send that, and it would be my honor to send that to your listeners. And you know, if you want further access to what it is that I teach or the groups that I've uh, developed, there's also a... You know, you can come in on coaching arrangements or really come in with the classes that we teach. The community itself is where the real action is, however. I mean, that's where the people are there who are fully committed to putting their true voice out in the world and to having authentic listening being the source for that. So more than anything, I just invite you to join that community, the true voice community, and we'll work from there. We're we're building a summit, for instance. That is launching on April 9th. I'm so excited about it. We have at least 24 inspirational influencers, high level. You've heard of many of them who are already signed on for this summit. And they're going to talk about how each of us is an inspirational influencer already. Like mm-hmm. you don't have to have a, a million followers or a million dollars to be an, you know, an influencer. All you really have to do <laughs> Is come in touch with your true voice and deliver it. That's it. That's all you have to do. Now you've influenced and you really have lived influence in such a way that you're going to leave the planet better off for you being here. As soon as you come in touch with yourself, Mm. the biggest tragedy I can imagine in the world, like the biggest tragedy, is to live a whole life without anyone ever getting to know you. Like, what the hell is that? Like, how does that work? So you know, I think that Henry David Thoreau said, you know, the mass of men live lives of quiet desperation and leave with their song never been sung. Mm. And I'm saying, sing that song. Let's go. You can do that. It's your your truth is underneath there. It's underneath all the muck you put there for because there was dividends being paid off to be a liar here and there. You don't have to lie anymore. And there's a lot of by the way, dude, isn't it? There's a lot of pain every time I lie. Yeah. It is not simple. There is a lot of inner strife every single time I tell a lie. I got it. I got it. It's like swallowing a big rock, man.
0: There's guilt. There's shame. (laughs) It's just terrible.
1: Yeah. And yet when I get, when I get by, I'm telling something that is really consistent with my truth. There's a deep pleasure, a love, a respect, a compassion, acceptance, forgiveness for all of humanity when I'm bringing forth the truth. And I, and I don't stutter. That's the other thing. I don't have to remember shit I said yesterday. It's like it's like really cool. I don't, have to, you know, it's just like this is just who I am. Hello.
0: Mhm. I always yeah. say they say, I tell my wife, I'm, I'm honest because I'm lazy. I don't have to remember. I don't want to have to remember the lies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> keep it simple. Uh, Dr. Fred Moss, this has been a, an amazing episode. I've had a lot of fun and I'm going to have the links in the show notes as well. So folks can, can follow up with you and connect with you and everything. I appreciate the healing journey that you are on. And, and I, and I appreciate you taking the time to, to work on healing us along the way. Thank you.
1: Yeah. It's been a pleasure, Ted. Great, great conversation. I really loved it.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm just going to recap some things about finding your true voice. So many of us kind of going through life, right. Without really fully having our true voice, just recapping some of the notes that I took down along the way for anybody listening that tends to stay busy while listening to podcasts. Authentic people are very attractive. We all know those people who walk into a room and they just carry themselves in a certain way. We're like, man, how do I move like that? Well, you move like that, not by moving like that person, but by moving like yourself, by moving like who you are. We want to be loved and heard for who we are. And I love when Dr. Moss said, okay, what is the cost of lying or what is the cost of putting up a persona because we so desperately want to be accepted that we kind of give pieces of ourselves and we make compromises along the way, but we compromise to a point where even the person that gets accepted isn't our truly, our true selves. And we are still left with the dilemma of I wanting that. to be heard. And of course, we're social beings, we're all one. Imagine what can happen if we all unite. Now, I don't anticipate an alien invasion anytime soon, but hey, why not dig the well before we thirsty, right? Why not start now and unite as a nation, as a country, as a world, and as a people, as a species, and really come together and understand that we have more in common than we have different. And of course, if you're not lost, you're lying. (laughs) I'm trying to figure this out. I am wholeheartedly 100% transparent about that. I do not have this thing figured out. And I appreciate the guests like Fred Moss and others for for helping us navigate this life together because, hey, this is all our first time doing it. And I don't know anyone who's gotten out of this thing alive. That's right. I appreciate you, Dr. Fred Moss, yet again. I appreciate the audience for making it to the end of this episode. Please share this with a friend if you got value from it. Leave us a rating and a review. Let us know how we're doing. The only way we can improve is where you let us know where we fall short. And of course, if you love the podcast and you want to support on a monetary level, it'd mean the world to us if you check out our Patreon page where you can get extra content from guests like Dr. Moss and others for as little as $1 a month guys we hope you enjoyed the episode and we appreciate you rocking with us and as we say at the end everybody wants the sunshine but they don't want the rain but you can't get the pleasure without first the pain let's grow
1: Uh oh let's go